This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is. Welcome to Gaming Street Regulars. My name is James Irish. With me as always is Chrissy Harding. Hi everyone. We are lacking clever titles this time because it's late. <laughs> oh, we're making a habit of this, James. We need to stop this. <laughs> uh, yeah, the circumstances just make it happen. And today we have a special guest in the digital recording booth. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of my longtime gaming friends, Mr. Mike QC. Hi. Pleasure to be here. So, yeah, Mike's, Mike uh, runs our game night that uh, me and James attend, um, what, every other week right now is our current, current yeah, give, thing? Give or take, give or take. Yeah. So he is the appropriate person to talk with us about... Games to play when you're stuck with the winter blahs. And we've all been there, and y'all know oh. you've done it. And in Rochester, we experience winter blah reruns. Oh, yeah. They're, they they tend to do sequels here. Right. And, winter, you know, winter blahs all year round. <laughs> no, yeah. there's one. No, Maine, I, I, Maine, as I've been told, has it worse. They only have two seasons, winter and July. And if we have any main people out there, please confirm. Well, Miranda, I'm looking at you. Got, we've got four seasons here in Rochester. Uh, not yet snow, snow, more snow, and construction. There. Somewhere in there is stink bugs, too, when the stink bugs come out. Like there, there, there's like a little section there. Okay. I'm not sure if it's between construction. And more snow, but it's somewhere in there. There's a sliver where those little little lovelies come out of the woodwork. So, but what does winter blah mean for us gamers? Well, that is when you are tired of your gaming system, and your parents, and you're kind of forced to socialize. Yeah, which has actually been a something bit more of a rarity this past year. Ish, I would. I would just, you don't have to hold a gun to my head right now to get me to socialize. I will be very, very, very happy once enough people are vaccinated and restrictions are loosened and we can actually have our game nights in person again. I'm actually looking forward to being able to attend one of those because I just know our Jackbox games. Right, you so. you and me both, James, for sure. It's, it's weird that we're coming up on a whole year of... Uh, um, you know, for lack of a better word, isolation, uh, you know, d despite being, you know, online, despite doing video chats and Jackbox games, it, it's not quite the same. 
Um, cer the certainly not. Is, oh, you, you know, I'm sorry. Keep going. I was, was going to say certainly not over the course of a year. Um, you know, a little, little bit here or there, sure, but a, a year it starts to drag on you. I mean, just to, and just imagine, um, if you will, going back to maybe even like going back to 1918 with the flu, the Spanish, the flu epidemic, the Spanish flu epidemic, where they didn't really have as much of the distractions that we have now. Um, you know, they didn't really, I mean, back then board games, they were, they were kind of around, but I mean, we kind of, with the technology we have where we're still able to connect with people in real time, you know, we're pretty lucky with that. I mean, it still sucks. <laughs> and mercifully, on the day we're recording this, we just got announcement from the the feds that should everything go according to plan, and I'm including that caveat just so I don't get my hopes too far up, there should be enough vaccine for every American by the end of May. Now it's just a matter of getting everyone to take it. Yeah, that that's proving to be the real big bugaboo. Yeah. Don't get me started. I had to use a and d analogy on someone who, the other day who was kind of on the fence. And I'm, I did it and then I paused and I'm like, wow, I have become that geek. I was like, you got a choice. You can go out with no armor class or 14 armor class. Pick one. Hmm. <laughs> could be a noob or you could be in a level two which one you want so but let's get back on track so mike yes, in fact we're gonna take a very short break and when we return we'll start discussing our first strangely appropriate game <laughs> So, Mike, I believe you told us our first game is going to be one of the long-standing popular resource management cooperative games. That is, might be a little touchy for a few, but is unusually appropriate. Pandemic. That's right. I, I kind of thought this one was a, a little on the nose, but at the same time, I would feel a, a little bit amiss not... Uh mentioning you know this game as uh we are in fact in the middle of a pandemic um so it seemed very topical um so some of the different games to, uh, i'm going to talk about tonight have you know different genres different styles um pandemic happens to be one of my favorite styles which is the cooperative board game um you know unlike traditional games uh, like a monopoly where you're all pitted against each other uh, often leaving feeling uh, uh maybe a little sore maybe not even talking to the people that you played with um you know pandemic works a little bit differently that you are playing against the game like the game is the challenge the game is the enemy um, and you and everyone else that's playing, you're all working together to try to tackle the challenges that are put in front of you. So it's a, it's a different take on games. Um, they can be very, very difficult. 
um, pandemic, uh, uh, you know, especially for a first time through is almost certainly going to beat you, um, you know, perhaps a little bit uh, too reminiscent of real life as we faced our own challenges with the pandemic. Um, but it's it's fun and it's a different take on board games. Um, and it's one where you win together and you fail together. So you get to um, go out together. So as James mentioned, um, you know, it, it is a little bit of resource management. Um, the, the premise of the game is that there are four different viruses that are um, spreading across the globe and you and your other players represent different um, either scientists or medics or um, perhaps a helicopter pilot or a resource manager um, or a dispatcher and you all have like different abilities and powers that help you you know tackle it in different ways and you travel all over the world um, you know and it, it actually the board kind of looks like risk so it's it's a standard US globe Um and your goal is to cure all four viruses before time runs out. Um, so it's it sounds really straightforward, but it's challenging. The game throws a lot of curveballs at you. Um, but it's it's a quick play, and it's one of those ones that, again, as a cooperative game, it's it's nice to, you know, uh, put put the boxing gloves and the fisticuffs aside for a bit and work together to try to challenge uh, yourselves and tackle a um, not insignificant problem. And there's been a lot of different editions of Pandemic uh, since the initial release. There's been at least a few expansions. That's right. I believe there's a Legacy edition. There are. Yep, yep. So I've actually played through Season 1 of the Legacy. Um, For those that don't know, Legacy board games are games that change every time you play them. Um, so you you do a playthrough and you're putting stickers on the board, you're tearing up cards, um, which for certain people can be uh, very challenging at times to literally rip playing components in half, you know, stuff that normally you're doing your best to preserve uh, for the longevity of a game. And instead, you're just unceremoniously ripping these cards in half. Um, but it tells a story. So, um, you know, in season one, you um, each time you play through represents a different month of a calendar year. And at the end of each month, some new thing happens. Um, the, the plot unfolds, the virus mutates, um, you know, different uh, bad actors uh, come out uh, to throw curveballs at your plans. Uh, the thing you thought you were doing that was helping the problem is making it worse. Um, you know, and any number of curveballs get thrown your way. Um, and but it's it is... Oh, yep. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Chrissy. I was going to say, and isn't Legacy uh, each each season takes place? I think in like a different time period. Yep. If so, I remember looking at correctly, it like starts back in um, I want to say the early 1900s, and you kind of play through the different decades. So, so season one is kind of what I'll call the contemporary one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of it. It the in fact the very first playthrough is essentially just regular pandemic um and then they start adding different rules features things that get thrown your way season two takes place like a hundred years later there's been some sort of a, a catastrophe um and and then you're you're kind of pitted to deal with that new catastrophe as it unfolds they also have a season zero which takes place as kind of a prequel to season one mm-hmm. um that that's set like way in the past uh i think that one's a I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I want to say it's like a 1940s ish. Um, 
separate from the Legacy series, as James mentioned, there are a lot of different versions of Pandemic. There are themed versions of Pandemic. So there's one that takes place on the Iberian Peninsula, uh, which is Spain, um, for those not up on their European geography, um, and kind of takes place during, um, I believe it might actually be the the influenza pandemic um, around 1918. So it might actually be during that specific pandemic. So you're, you're working with that. But, you know, you've got different, like, you don't have uh, air flight anymore. So you can't helicopter between locations. Um, it's actually um, 1848, which was the very eight, first flu break, breakout. Um, and it's eight, actually not that. You're dealing with malaria, typhoid, um, typhus, yellow fever, and cholera. See, there we go. Thank you. So that's why I said don't quote me on that. Um, there's a I just Cthulhu- happened to pop up on my computer. Oh, very <laughs> nice. Like, oh. There. Uh, one so, of the other versions is Cthulhu themed. Um, there also is a dice game spinoff and a card game spinoff um, set in the same kind of universe. Um, but yeah, so it's been very popular for quite some time um, and has a lot of different versions, variants, uh, legacy versions, expansions. And go ahead, James. <laughs> so I was listening to that list of diseases Chrissy rattled off there. And uh, you can't die of dysentery? No, it's not one of the diseases they put in the board game. Sorry. But you can, as we all know from what from actually is now a card game, Oregon Trail. Did not I when I walked into Target and saw that as a card game, I'm like and you're just gonna keep torturing me, aren't you? So so or Oregon Trail is actually I it's not one of the ones that I had selected to talk about tonight, but and, and I think actually, James, we've played that together, haven't we? We have. Yeah. So it's, I'm going to say it's okay. It, it definitely hits the nostalgia um, itch really well. Um, but, but it's not stellar. It's, it's, it's fun. I, I love the graphics and like the nostalgia pull. Um, but it's, it's not the best game out there. Um, the rules are a little choppy. They needed a little bit more polishing there's a few things that are a little bit unclear um but you know but for 20 bucks at target to to hit that nostalgia itch it's it's certainly not a bad pickup um but you know maybe if you're waffling on that and something else maybe try the something else um pandemic for example which i feel has a little bit more replay value um over time yeah i definitely agree with that and Pandemic even reminds me a little bit, just because now, here's my off topic, it reminds me of Arkham Horror. So, Arkham Horror is actually my favorite uh, cooperative <laughs> game. Um, I've played I, in, in unwieldy amount of hours of Arkham Horror uh, way back when. Um, kind of actually before James was in the, the gaming group when it was still like Jeremy and Ryan and Will, I think it was at least a few years before I met James. Um, we used to play Arkham Horror all the time, like weekly. And sometimes we'd play two or three times in a day, like if it was a weekend day. Um, and, and it is, whereas Pandemic is a fairly quick play and relatively easy to pick up. Um, the estimate is 45 minutes, so give yourself at least an hour, but Arkham Horror could go three, four hours for a game. Um, it's mm-hmm. very Easily. involved, very complex. Um, this is specifically the second edition as well. There is a third edition out now. Um, 
but yeah, Arkham Arkham Horror and the kind of the sequel game Eldritch Horror, um, those are all games that are you know really high up on my list of uh, games that I played a lot and really enjoyed a lot. But it's it's a very daunting game and it's it could be overwhelming to uh, jump into uh, uh, right right off the bat if uh, maybe you're not super used to uh, you know you know, games outside of what I'm going to call Monopoly and Stratego. Um, it can be a little bit to, a lot to bite off uh, just initially. Yeah. But. You know, I, Stratego gets such a reputation as being obtuse, but it's it simply just grab a piece and go, Stratego! And hit your opponent's piece. <laughs> that wasn't the mystery out there. I'm not going to lie. I love Stratego, but Stratego is a very straightforward two-player game. I mean... I, I remember when I was younger, and, and hopefully he's not listening to this part, um, and, and if he does check this out, he skips past this part, but I used to, quote-unquote, change the rules uh, while playing my younger brother to make sure that I always won. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a bad older brother with that, and cer- certainly would not do something like that now, but, you know, when you're uh, six and eight and you, you need to maintain your uh, sibling superiority, sometimes you uh, maybe bend things just a little bit to uh, make sure that happens. Don't feel bad. My dad used to do that with Monopoly. <gasps> Unacceptable. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that to my kids. I don't know. I My dad would say he's changed. And when I caught him on it, he's like, well, I'm making it so the game goes faster. And I'm like, but you're winning every time. <laughs> maybe he just didn't like Monopoly and wanted it to get over. And he's the one who kept picking it out. <laughs> Honestly. So I, I give Monopoly a hard time because I, I, ultimately don't find it a super enjoyable game I, th- I think it ends up taking often too long and people do end up very you know upset with each other however there is a variant that a different publisher makes called anti-monopoly where there's two different types of players there's capitalists and anti-capitalists and it it makes a much more varied and interesting game that you're kind of uh, the players are playing asymmetrically a little bit um so it, it's a little bit of a in my opinion a fresher take on uh you know monopoly um so that sounds anyway. cool actually i've not heard that one it actually it came out in the 70s and somehow they've avoided um copyright <laughs> lawsuits and, and whatnot but it's it, it it's a i i think it's a much more enjoyable approach to the game um so so the anti-capitalists unlike the monopoly actually it's monopolists versus anti-monopolists and the anti-monopolists don't have to form sets to build stuff up but they charge less for the rent um you know so um again it's that kind of asymmetric play um that, that i find really enjoyable cool yeah the situation behind uh, monopoly and copyrights is something we'll get into when we eventually do our episode on uh, usaopoly oh yes but just to steer things back to uh, the, the board games we, <laughs> we intend to talk about, but don't worry about the tangent. That You've heard this podcast enough times to know that they happen. Technically, that's not considered a tangent because that was actually us talking about what was it, kind of the subject of it. So it's not like we I mean, went from... It's a board game. It's, it's a board we game. Went from board, we didn't go from board games to cartoons like sometimes we do. <laughs> Yes, but we've counted video game to video game as a tangent. No, we counted video game. We counted video game going from one type of video game to a completely different genre of video game as a tangent. I did not mark. Now we're tangenting about tangents. I now I have to. 
episode. I think so. Either that or an existential crisis. I kind of wanted to point that out, but I kind of wanted to see where this was going. Um. That one did get a hashtag. So (laughs) to steer us back. So one of the games that you had sent us a list about, and I have to say, I was reading through about this game because I have not played this one. And just the sheer fact that there is one of the characters you can choose is a cyber bunny. Which replace Cyber Kitty and Space Penguin. We have to talk about King of Tokyo. <laughs> King of Ooh. Tokyo is oh, fantastic. Um, so, um, King, of Co- King of Tokyo is what they call kind of a um, uh, King of the Hill or you know last man standing, last person standing um, game where you are all in to knock everyone else out. And you can do that a couple different ways, um, you know. And this this one happens to take place in Tokyo, so it's definitely kind of got that um, kaiju feel to it. Um, and you're in there, but you're battling each other for supremacy. Um, so you can either knock everyone out. You do have a health counter, or you can get to. Uh, there's a point system as well, so you can either get to the most points first, or you can knock everyone else out. Um, it plays fairly easily and it's you know a fairly quick game um and you can like augment your monster with different powers and you can you know attack other people like with like there's fighter jets coming around again it it feels like a big you know big giant fun monster movie where you know everyone's knocking each other around and you know it's it's just a quick good fun it's one of the best um, in my opinion, um, adaptations of like this type of genre. Um, there, there's, I, I played a lot of other games kind of similar to this that are like, oh, they're okay, but this one just it feels good. It feels quick. Um, you know, a lot of the the King of the Hill type games often end up kind of dragging. Like you, you kind of get towards that late game, and you're all just kind of plotting away to see who's gonna you know hit that point counter first or you're whittling people away health-wise, and it just kind of drags, whereas this one doesn't feel like it drags. Um, Talisman certainly comes to mind when you make that description. Sure. Um, I have another one. It's it's like a neighborhood one, which like thematically sounded really cool, where you're, you know, a bunch of, like, you're, you're annoying your neighbors and trying to be the last one in the neighborhood. You're trying to get them all to move out, and it just drags. Like, it... it looks cool the artwork's fun lots of fun nods to annoying neighbors and you get like halfway through and you're like why are we still playing this like nobody's <laughs> having fun anymore um you know and if uh, but this yes, this you want feels... to move out from the game <laughs> right <laughs> like you know what I'm, like? I'm gonna leave right now i'm gonna pack my stuff and go um uh, King of Tokyo also has a sequel called King of New York, um, which takes place in Manhattan, um, as well as some of the surrounding boroughs. Um, it plays similarly, but they've added a few extra mechanics in that. There's like buildings you can knock down. Um, so it kind of expands on the premise, but King of Tokyo, I think, is still the, the you know, the I don't want to say the, the funnest one, but it's definitely like the best, like kind of, I've never played this before. Let's go start with King of Tokyo. If you really like that a lot, jump into King of New York. The fun thing is the monsters are all interchangeable. Um, so the five monsters that come with King of Tokyo can get carried over and used in King of New York and vice versa. They sell standalone monsters. 
Um, there's also power-up packs that kind of add some extra features to the game. Um, if you, again, if you want to kind of add more into it, um, this also has the advantage of playing up to six. A lot of we'll call them fancier board games play four, maybe five. So if you got a bigger group, um, you know, sometimes getting a, a game that plays a lot of people can be a little bit of a challenge. But King of Tokyo is up to six, which is usually pretty good for a big group. Um, you know, so that that's also kind of a, a, a nice advantage there, especially if you just want to have fun. Uh, this one does say 30 minute playing time, and, and that's probably going to be pretty close. A six player game might go a little bit longer, but it plays fairly quick. You can probably play it two, three times in a row before you want to move on to something else. And uh, just to keep our, our little theme going, uh, one of those characters you can pick up in an expansion is Cthulhu. So now that's two games we have discussed where Cthulhu is an option. And he's in Monster Pack 1, so he was the first Monster Pack put with this game from what I'm reading. Which, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that it also has madness tokens. (laughs) With the Cthulhu Pack. What's also really nice is you can get a proper King Kong for these games as well. Well, I would expect no less of a game that in many ways is based off of, you know, the, um, uh, the you know, the, the, the Godzilla movies of, of old. Not the new ones, the old ones. So I, I expect no less from them to do a proper King Kong. Well, I think King Kong is public domain. Yeah, but everyone who does, like, but. Like I said, they did a proper, you, you're saying they do a proper King Kong. I've seen some people do King Kong and it, I'm like, are you doing King Kong or Donkey Kong? Which one is this? <laughs> well, well, I think what, what James might be getting at too is that the baseboard game comes with a gorilla type monster, but it's not specifically King Kong. But ah. one of the add-on monsters you can get is King Kong. So they, they do have, so like the, the base game has, you know, we'll call them made up i mean i guess they're all made up but you know made up for the game <laughs> monsters and kaijus whereas you can get some of the power-ups that have cthulhu uh anubis the egyptian god of death is is one you can add in so they've got ones that are going to say come from other elements other you know places where they, they draw inspiration from very cool yeah and again, it's, you know, a lot of these games can seem a little daunting because you, you open it up and there's like, oh, there's like 30 dice here. And there's like these little cardboard tokens. What's going on with all this? But a lot of like this one is is not very complex, you know, and some sometimes my, one of my best recommendations, especially for any sort of new game, you know, read, read through the rules as best you can. Maybe watch a YouTube video. Uh, there's millions of YouTube videos out there for that kind of walk you through how to play. But then just pick up the dice and start playing kind of learn as you go um you know especially if it's a first time for everybody you know everyone should have a little bit of patience but sometimes it's best just to kind of get into it and it's like oh that makes more sense like stuff becomes a lot more clear once you start actually going and doing it um so definitely you know try not to let um you know the giant piles of dice and and cards and everything kind of weigh you down or or keep you from diving into something like this because they they are a lot of fun once you get going one last quick note on uh, king of tokyo uh you probably noticed the name richard garfield above the title the significance there that's the man who created magic the gathering this guy knows some a thing or two about addictive gameplay Ooh. 
So that so this is someone who knows his stuff. Absolutely. So moving onward, uh, next on the list you gave us is a game I actually have not yet played with you, Mike. So I'm looking forward to the description of this. Root, a so, game of woodland magic and might? Yeah. So Root is it's easily one of the the most enjoyable games I've played in let's say the last year. Um, I I was I've I played it with my brother-in-law for the first time a couple years ago, and then they had a Kickstarter for one of the expansions, and I I might have gone all in and gotten, you know, the the previous uh, like the base game and of previous expansion as well as the the new stuff that they were offering. Um, so Root, which and this is going to tie back a little bit to. Uh, the very brief non-tangent tangent into Anti-Monopoly, where I mentioned asym asym symptom. So Root is an asymmetric board game um, where you are playing one of many woodland-style factions. Um, whether you're the uh, evil cat faction that's looking to take over the woodlands, or the bird dynasty whose power has uh, waned and is trying to reclaim uh, their place, uh, perhaps you're playing the uh, kind of upstart uh, woodland creatures that are looking to claim a new spot. Um, maybe you're the Vagabond, uh, who's a, a unique character, whereas uh, as opposed to the other factions, which are, you know, multiple um, units and multiple like armies that you might command. The Vagabond is a single character that kind of works uh, in the background, uh, possibly aiding and or harming other factions uh, as he goes. Each group has a different set of goals. They have different ways that they earn points, but everyone's trying to get to um, the the max number of points first. Um, so it's it's like in each faction plays completely differently. Each one has a different strategy. They have different powers, abilities. Um, so it can make it a difficult game to explain um, because you're all doing something different. Um, but it's loads of fun. The theme is a lot of fun. The artwork is wonderful. Um, and it, it plays fairly quickly. Um, you know, recommended time 60 to 90 minutes. I would play plan for at least two, two and a half hours for a first time through, especially if you're trying new factions out. Um, they've had lots of, um, expansion packs adding, you know, different groups of, woodland creatures like there's an expansion that adds moles who can tunnel underground there's river folk which are kind of like otters and and such um there's one of my favorite the corvid conspiracy which are like uh crows and ravens um and blue jays uh the odd one out of the corvid family um and they play a little bit more deceptively um but it's it's a lot of fun and you the play is in a big open map of a, a kind of a woodland setting um and you go around controlling different like clearings uh in, in an effort to score points um and be the first one to win chrissy yeah, if we cool. were to play this with uh sherry she'd never let us uh get a chance at the otters she would dump she would <laughs> monopolize that faction Oh, completely. I'm kind of was looking. I see there's a fox faction, and my first thought in my mind is, oh, I definitely see Dino taking over that one. If there was a wolf one, I'd be all over it. 
But there isn't. <laughs> Not there yet. Was. There's, they're, they're actually, they're adding, there's a, a, a Kickstarter right now for the next group of expansions. Oh my um, gosh. The one of the other kind of fun things that they've done is there's a um, they call it like a clockwork uh, expansion, um, which actually takes a um, approach at creating an AI for a faction. So if you want to either play by yourself um, against kind of the AI, or um, you know if you're in a two or three player game and you you want to round it out with a, a fourth or even a fifth faction. Um, you can use these clockwork factions that, you know, have a, a set um, approach on how they operate. Um, so we, we, I've done that once before, and it, it actually plays fairly easily um, once you kind of get the hang of it. It's a little bit different than how the human player would play it. Um, the rules are a little bit different to kind of simplify it. Um, but it plays pretty well, and it, it's it's fairly challenging Um you know, from a, uh, and, you know, an AI, so to speak for a board game. So kind of a, a cool extra add on that you can kind of throw in there. Very cool. And it looks like there's even, they did a, uh, video game adaptation to it too. Really? Yep. Yep. So, um, yep. So actually a lot of the, uh, the games that I've mentioned here have, well, maybe not all of them, but at least some of them have uh, app and or like PC editions. Um, so yeah, the, so the PC, there's a PC edition and there's a, a phone app. Um, they're pretty good adaptations. They don't have all of the expansions yet. Um, you know, those take time to code in, but it's, it's a pretty cool implementation of uh, the game. Um, which handy for, you know, right now when it's a little bit sometimes challenging to get together with other people. Very nice. So uh, one question uh, that one thing that jumped out at me when you were describing this, the cats are quote unquote evil. So that just seems to come up so often in media. And... <laughs> I, I, think, I think in this case, it's, you know, cats are predators. Like, like you know, cats, I, I have cats, I love cats, but they're, they're little murder machines. And they go out and they hunt down and kill woodland creatures, uh, birds, squirrels, um, maybe not squirrels, but chipmunks. Um, you know, so I, I think that's kind of the approach they're taking with this, since you're in that kind of woodland settings with birds and other small mammals here that your your apex predator there is, is going to be maybe represented a little bit evilly um, in, in this case. But... No empathy for Galactus, <laughs> who is not a cloud. Yeah, but yeah, so the, the cat factions, the nefarious uh, Marquis de Cat, and so the, the, the two main factions from the base game would be the Marquis de Cant, which is the the new upstart uh, ruler of the woods and the um you know kind of the the ire which is the um the birds that at one point did rule it that are trying to kind of come back um so they're the the deposed uh, rulers that are coming back in and then there's a lot of other factions that kind of you know get in the mix there um but it's it's fun. You're you're you know battling troops with each other. Um, but again, each one plays completely differently. You know, kind of the Marquise de Cat is 
building up uh, infrastructure like lumber mills and things like that, whereas the ire they build roosts for their birds and they're not looking to build you know big factories of production. And the vagabond is just a single token that moves around throughout the map. And the Corvid conspiracy, they place bombs and traps and stuff for to to kind of befuddle their foes without necessarily directly engaging. So. Um, each one has their own strategies. Each one has their own objectives, um, which I just, I really like that approach where it's, you know, you're, you know, all kind of keeping yourselves on your, your toes because you're all doing something a little bit different. Very cool. I can't wait to play this. This, this sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is. It's, it's, and again, it's for asymmetric games of this type. It's, it's a fairly light adaptation there are um whole series of very involved um you know uh, games of this nature um you know super complex super rule heavy and, and this one isn't too bad like it, it's it's tough to describe just um you know in a in a non-visual medium but i i encourage anyone interested in this to to look up the pictures look up the play style you know look at some of the maps um it, it's really not that difficult to kind of get the hang of when, once you start playing it. Again, like I said, with everything else, just start playing it, and it, it's not too bad to to figure out. Um, they do rate the factions on a complexity level. So if you are new to it, you can kind of look and say, hey, maybe these are the ones we start with these because they're a little bit easier on the complexity side. But even the quote-unquote most complex ones aren't really too bad. Um, it, it's more of just how to use them or the strategy that could be a little bit tricky but mechanically that none of them are, are too bad to uh to tackle um and there's also a role-playing version set in the same um kind of universe or, or world here um where everyone kind of plays a different vagabond character so interesting yeah oh nice yeah so this is this is the letter games um and they're they're relatively small. They're, they've they've had a couple other really fun games, um, but this one it, again, I really like the art style. Art style sometimes is a big selling point. Um, you know, it's it's like you can just kind of really wrap yourself up in the visual style in addition to the otherwise fun and engaging gameplay. Um, but when there's so many things out there to choose from, sometimes the the theme or the style can be a big selling point as well. Excellent. Yeah. And, and speaking of player count, this is another one that it, the base game goes two to four, um, but with the you know some of the expansions and extra factions, you can play up to six. Um, so you can have a little bit bigger group going with this. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Chrissy, which one do you want to talk about next? I'm actually look we we do so let's take this up into outer space a little bit because it looks like we have two space games coming up terraforming mars and dark moon on the list um i've played you know looking at dark moon i think i've played it before but i don't think i played it under that title name um so dark moon was originally a game called uh, uh battlestar or bsg express um so there is a there was a very large board game called you know Battlestar Galactica based on the uh revived uh reboot TV series from the goodness early almost 20 years ago now um 
wow. Um, <laughs> apparently. So, and, and I've, I've played that game before and that, that is a lot of fun, but it's very involved. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, you've got your, your military faction, the Cylons, the political factions. Um, so someone came up with what they called BSG Express. So it's a, a it was a fan-made light version of a secret identity game, you know, where most of you are humans, some of you are Cylons, and watch out, they're going to either try to take over you or you're going to get them out the airlock. Um, they wanted to go mainstream with it copyright being an issue um they renamed it to a game called dark moon so you know thematically it's still kind of similar um in this case uh most of you are humans um with one android um on the ship and you are on a space station that is slowly falling apart and you're trying to keep it repaired long enough so you can escape um i'm gonna say beknownst to you even though you don't know who one or more people on this space station with you have been infected by a virus and their goal is to um, either kill all the humans or destroy the space station before you get a chance to escape. Um, so this is a secret identity game. Um, there's there's lots kind of out there. Uh, a werewolf might be one of the most famous ones in this rough genre um but this one thematically is a lot of fun you're on a space station you're trying to repair it um for those that have played the mini uh game uh, among us it, it's going to sound very thim- similar thematically um and actually plays kind of similar um you're you're <laughs> it doing kind of like among us advanced edition it yeah. is it, it, it predates among us by a bit um but it's it's very it's really similar you're doing tasks and someone uh, one or more people are kind of sus uh, on your spaceship and you need to figure it out before it's too late um i always do good at these games um where you i always end up play i always end up being either someone who's infected or someone who's the alien Mm-hmm. And almost every time, no one guesses it's me, and I don't know why. <laughs> they just don't. We've, we've had a a couple that we've played with James uh, and and kind of the rest of the the crew there that, like like you know, we'll figure one person out pretty easily. But you know, in a large group, you're going to have multiple infected people, mm-hmm. and and sometimes you're like, I really think it's this other person, and then it ends up being someone else, and you're like. You know, they catch you off guard or you figure it out. And you're like, oh, yeah, we figured out who they both were. And then it still comes down to the absolute wire. Like sometimes even though you figured it out. Um, so the, the game has a, a reveal function where you can reveal that you're infected and it gives you a whole new set of powers and sabotage abilities. Um, so even once you've figured out who they are, it, it's not necessarily over for them. Um mm-hmm. So it can it can be really uh, kind of touch and go there um, b- before uh, you, you kind of hit the end of the game. Um, but again, the the hidden identity, the bluffing, um, especially when you know everybody in the group, uh, I, I think are always a lot of fun. It, it's it's great when it's with you know. Um, like those people that you you see every week and you're just kind of like you're staring them down you're giving them the the old poker face the poker stare trying to figure out um you know who it is um and, and the the other fun thing is the infected don't start off knowing who each other are like you have to you also have to figure out who the other infected person is if if there's multiple um so that can also be a bit of a challenge um so you truly even if you're infected you don't necessarily know who to trust um 
So it's fun. There is an expansion to this game as well that adds a kind of an evil corporation that's trying to get a sample of the virus off the station um, and a feature where you can, quote unquote, disarm uh, one of the members of the station, which uh, uh, literally removes their arm and removes some of their ability to roll dice. Uh, you, you perform actions by rolling dice and you permanently lose some of your dice when you get, quote unquote, disarmed. Um yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice taking that literally. Yeah. <laughs> <You've been disarmed>. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Reminds um, me of losing a finger in Trivia Murder Party. Yeah. Yeah. That's and right. And it also reminds me too of um one the one night game series like One Night Werewolf, One Night Alien, One yes. Night Vampire. Exactly. Too. Yep. It's it's um you know, it, it, again, it, it plays in that same guessing, hidden identity, bluffing. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of others in that style um, with the bluffing. There's one called Bang, which is kind of a spaghetti western style. There's Werewolf. Um, there's a, a one I've got called Salem, which takes place in the Salem Witch Trials. Um, which is actually, Salem is nice because it's a very quick easy to pick up secret identity like people that don't like secret identity games are generally like enjoy salem because it's it's very rules light it's very you know um more casual um and that actually plays up to like 14 people so if you had a really large group you you can play with a bigger group but dark moon is fun you just you know you're you're rolling dice you're kind of you're bluffing with your dice um so in, in addition to just the identity you've got a little player's screen kind of like a dm screen for for the dungeons and dragons fans out here um and you roll your dice behind it and then you you know like choose which dice you want to submit for this task maybe it's going to be positive maybe negative and you're like oh hey you know i i was trying to put a positive one in but all i rolled were negative instead you rolled nothing but positive with one negative and you put that up because you're you're bluffing that you're whether you're good or bad um so it it has a lot of a lot of continual bluffing mechanics in it which uh, can make it a lot of fun and back to what you were saying about playing with people you know very well see see frequently it's especially grating when they're not infected, and yet they do something mind-numbingly <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I played with uh, coworkers once, um, for better or for worse, and one of them. So I was infected in this game. The infected ended up winning. I could have sworn this other guy was the other infected person because he was doing all these really weird things. It turned out he wasn't. He was just messing around. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I could have. I swore he was the other infected person, but he wasn't. So he was just he yeah. was just being chaotic. He was just being chaotic evil. Yes. Well, let's say chaotic neutral. I don't think he was specifically uh, trying to win or lose i think he was just mixing it up and keeping everyone on their toes which honestly is very true to character for him so um (laughs) in in retrospect it was uh right on the money of exactly how he would be playing but um definitely kind of threw us all for a bit of a loop um (laughs) this one plays three to seven um so again it it can do well with a larger group um a three-player game can be very nasty because you have two humans one infected um you know where's the seven player one you're you're gonna have 
three infected, I think. But it, it can be a little bit more challenging when you've got like the multiple and, and everything else. Um, so definitely, definitely a fun one and, and thematically just like a lot of fun, especially when in the back of my mind, I always like the infected are really Cylons, um, you know, kind of owing to where the, uh, the origins of the game come from. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so let's talk, do you want to talk about the other space game then terraforming Mars? I don't think I've played this one yet either. I don't know if you did or not. We, we actually, we played it once at Matt's house and I know Seth was there. I don't remember if you were or not. Maybe John was or Justin. It might have been one of the nights that, you know what? It probably was one of the nights that you couldn't make it or had a conflict, which is why we ended up at someone else's place. Um, so Terraforming Mars is what is called a like a Euro-style game. So... Um, European game designers kind of, as opposed to the uh, American style games, which were much more, I don't want to say like direct action, like think risk, where you've got your armies and you're directly attacking other armies and going back and forth. Um, Euro games, you're kind of operating independently from each other, but still striving, uh, striving towards like a similar goal. Um you, you still have opportunities to, um, you know, block or screw over one of the other players, but you're not, um, like, sending in armies to destroy their cities, uh, that sort of thing. So Terraforming Mars, again, with the thematics, I, I love um, just the concept of, you know, you're going to another planet and you're making it habitable. Um you know, just from a from the science nerd geek in me, like I just really like the the concept and the premise. Um, and a lot of the mechanics are kind of based on, you know, what it would actually take to terraform Mars if if that were to happen. Um, so everyone plays a different corporation, um, and, and that, that's I, I, that's going to say corporation loosely. Um, it, it might be a corporate entity in a traditional sense, like a, a company looking to establish a base on Mars for mining rights. Maybe it's a you know science group. Maybe it's a group of people interested in just colonization. Um, you know, and anything you can think of uh, as an entity or group that might be looking to colonize Mars is probably showing up as a corporation. There's a lot now between the base game and all the expansions, um, as well as lots of fan-made content. Um, So everyone starts off as a corporation, and you are working together to colonize Mars. So there's three main um, terraforming uh, metrics in the game. Um, There's oceans, there's oxygen, um, and heat. So once all three get to be sufficient enough to support life on Mars, the game ends. Um, so each one of those counters kind of moves independently of each other um, as the players go and do that. So you you all have the same end goal, which is terraforming Mars. You just want to be the best at terraforming Mars throughout the game. So having the highest kind of points at the end of the game um, is how you win, um, which again is also very similar for kind of Euro-style board games. 
um, where you're, there's a victory point track and you're building up that score um, throughout the game. So you um, build cities, you plant green tiles, you um, create ocean tiles, you complete projects. Each card is a project in this. Um, and, and they represent different things like, um, you know, setting up a, a power generating plant or uh, detonating a nuclear bomb to uh, help raise the power or raise the heat level um, in the atmosphere. You know, shipping in greenhouse gases, uh, which on, on Earth may be uh, not the best thing, but on Mars, which, you know, starts off at a, a pretty chilly um, uh, temperature-wise, uh, maybe that's a good thing to help start raising the temperature there to then help support life. Um, so you complete all these projects. Each round is a generation. Um, so you kind of get the feel that it's, you know, several generations in. Um, and then once, again, once everything's terraformed, you know, you kind of have your last turn, count up your points, count up all the different bonuses that you have, and whoever has the highest, uh, you know, score at the end wins. Um, but just, again, thematically, it's really fun. You're, you're playing on an actual map of Mars. Um, ocean tiles are rever uh, reserved based on where the low points are on the surface. Um, you know, different expansions add different maps of Mars. So, like the base game is on, you know, one side. Uh, the ex one of the expansions faces a different side of Mars. Another one's around one of the ice caps, um, which then has different strategies for bonus points based on the different tiles. You know, where the ocean tile is going to be. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, again, another one that's pretty daunting when you first look at all the tiles and bits and pieces and cards but really not too bad once you once you get into it all right i know we're starting to run up on our time limit here so i just want to really quickly make the jump over to the most uh, thematically crossoverish uh item on the list that hits both our tabletop game and our video game itch boss monster oh my god this game's so much fun boss monster is fantastic um the honestly again you know artwork seems to sell me um so the artwork is super cool it's got that you know pixel style graphics from you know we'll, we'll call it snes plus because um, I feel like the color is a little bit richer than a, a traditional SNES game. Um, Agreed. And for but those, the box that are... style is Nintendo is the is the old NES style. Um, yeah. Box yes. cover. Yes, they, cool. they've got yeah, like all the covers for the the base games, the expansions, all play off different. Um, you know, video games. Uh, you know, Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers two. Um, there's a we'll call it a quote unquote Game Boy expansion. Um, <laughs> I saw that the mini boss the, one, and it has like the green and black um, style uh, graphics there. Um, so the premise of Boss Monster is it it's like a, a Zelda style dungeon, only you're the one playing the boss at the end of the dungeon, and your goal is to build um, uh, uh, the most effective dungeon that you can amongst your peers. And then you're attracting uh, explorers to come to your dungeon so that you can kill them um, and, and hopefully not have them go to the end and hurt you instead. Um, 
all of the heroes in the game, which you're kind of vying for. Um, you're, you're kind of like you're, you're trying to attract them. It's, it's kind of a fun, fun promise to, or premise that you're, you know, trying to make it as attractive as possible to get them to come over to your dungeon. And they're all, um, I don't want to say knockoffs, but they're all parodies of characters throughout kind of nerd and geek pop culture. Um, I love this, this aspect of this game because having grown up with so many of the eight and 16 bit video games, I look at the characters that they come out of like, Oh, Hey, there's Karnov. Oh, hey, there's Samus. Oh, hey, there's Pit from Kid Icarus. And on and on. And it's just glorious fun. And, and yeah. Sorry, Chrissy. I think you were about to. It's just, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's one of those games where you sit there and as you're playing it, like if you're someone who, even if you have knowledge of game of video games, you're just like, oh my God, it's the, it's like the reference that everybody gets in some way, shape, or form. And and the cards are just beautiful pixelated art in all of its glory, which is awesome. hundred percent. And they, they added a, so normally the base game is, is another like one to four player game. Um, but they did add an expansion to go to five and six and it adds like a UFO theme. So like a, you know, crash landing and ray guns, which, which definitely kind of hits that Metroid itch. Um, you know, some of the characters expand beyond that. Like there's a Jon Snow kind of playoff character. There's Indiana Jones. Um, so they, they really, you know, as they've added more and more characters, they, they branch out to uh, we'll call it adjacent uh, interests that I'm sure a lot of people playing this type of game already have. Uh, so it's definitely fun when you figure out who it is. Some are super obvious and some are uh, definitely deep cuts. Um, but that, that honestly just makes it that much more fun, especially when you do get someone that recognizes it and maybe maybe you hadn't known what that reference was. Um, looking at James at that one, he's definitely one of our experts with some of the deep cuts, uh, especially with some of the video game ones mm-hmm. uh, from way back when. So, Yeah, this is just... This is, this is a game that if you're into card play, which I am into... Um, this is an awesome game. And the nice thing I like about it is you're not playing the hero in it. You you play the villain. <laughs> like you get to play the bad guy. Um Right. And trying and to pitch- to, right. I, I I love getting like a really good dungeon going too. Like one that just kind of synergizes and works and you're like like wow, I'm putting a lot of effort into this. Like that's you know, it's it's fun. It's fun when it works. It's and, and the thing I like about the rules with this game is it's easier. They're not hard. Like once you get an idea of, of building it, it's not a hard game. So it's almost almost anyone can play this. It does. You have to have some patience. Um, but I love the fact that you're 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 building your dungeon as you go. It reminds me a lot of Betrayal, um, Betrayal at the House on Haunted Hill, where you're building the Haunted Mansion as, as you go. Um, and it's just really kind of cool. Like, this is one of my favorite games to play. I sadly don't own it, but I played it with some friends. And, and that's one of the things I miss about being able to sit down with people and play with them is, is this is a game that's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, I that's... Uh... 
recommend it. <laughs> I was gonna say I've I've got this in most of the expansions, um, and it's it's super. I I enjoy it a lot. Um, I enjoyed it enough that I have the sequel game. Um, so the the makers here of uh, Boss Monster came up with one called um, I believe it's called Overboss. And uh, so it's basically like like we're going to take our Zelda dungeon to the next level, and now we're going to go to the map. So now you're playing a boss, only you're you're building up uh, uh, the the map and some of the the dangers and stuff out there in the in the overworld. Again, like that truly classic Zelda game. Um, so I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. So maybe once we're able to get together in person, we can try that one out as well. Um, but I definitely love to play Boss Monster Two with you, Chrissy, because this this one's definitely one I've enjoyed a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll be a little rusty, but I'll give you a fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as these two return to their neutral corners, <laughs> <laughs> we are going to take a short break, and when we return, we will give you our contact information, and it will be time for today in video game history. Dun dun dun! Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash fc3roc. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a non-profit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar... You will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at krissi at fc3roc.org. And me at J-A-M-E-S at F-C-3-R-O-C dot org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool. And begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Welcome back, everybody. It's that time for today in video game history. We have something of a twofer for you today. We're going to start with the serious one first. 
on March 4th, 2003, <laughs> was, the re- was the American and United Kingdom release of Metal Gear Solid 2 Substance. Now, that's an unusual title. This is actually a revamped and revised edition of the original Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, which in addition to the original game includes a collection of 200 virtual reality missions. So when they say substance, they mean there's a lot in this game to to chew into. That is definitely a... F- well, there's a lot to chew into these games to begin with, but yeah, substance, they definitely lived up to the title of this one. Now, I don't have terribly much experience with the Metal Gear games. Uh, Chrissy, did you get a chance to play this one? I have not played this one. I've, I've played Metal Gear um, uh, Solid Snake and Phantom Pain. I stunk at them. <laughs> this is, I, I play video games. I don't mean I'm good at them, but I play them. And I actually, I actually do enjoy, honestly, um, I like, you know, Metal Gear Solid, if it's on sale, I'll pick it up. Um, I prefer my Assassin Creed okay. to it. Um, but there's just something about, although I will say there's something about a top level um, operative trying to sneak through a base or a mission in a cardboard box. <laughs> Too true. There's just and- something about that where you just kind of sit there and you're just like, Okay, this was serious <laughs> until this point. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Any uh, Metal Gear experience to share? You know, I'm honestly gonna gonna say that I haven't spent very much time with uh, Metal Gear. I'd I'd say my the this might be funny. The majority of my time playing uh, any sort of Metal Gear would be in Super Smash Brothers. Um, and he is a very tricky character to get used to, but when you do, you can be pretty cool. So true. But yeah, that that is be the extent of my Metal Gear one. I, I get the references, I get the the cardboard box uh, jokes, <laughs> but I, I honestly haven't spent too much time with the series. Um, yeah, when I saw the, at first, I thought the cart when I first played. I think it was um, oh. When I first played, I think I'm not sure which came first, Phantom Pain or, or the uh, Solid Snake one. Um, but I remember playing it, and I just remember I heard about the cardboard box, and I'm like, no, that that must have been just like in one game. Nope, it was in no, almost every kidding. game. Every I was like, okay, I was like, this is taking a gag and running with it just a little too far, but. It was, I mean, it's it, it's not a bad series. If you like, you know, if you like um, shoot 'em ups, um, kind of a, a first person perspective running gun, they're good games. They're just not my cup of tea. <laughs> but I played them. So the other one uh, that I is just too goofy and campy for me to resist in 1999 in Japan was the release of. A very product placement S game, Pepsi Man. I've seen videos of this game, and it's kind of like one of those infinite runner games you can get on your on your mobile devices these days. Where and you're playing as a superhero soft drink mascot, attempting to deliver Pepsi to people in thirsty need. 
Google at your own risk. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is definitely unusual. And If you Google this and your brain in some way, shape, or form breaks, we are not responsible. No. That, I'm, I'm, that's my disclaimer. We are not responsible for this. Chris Frank is. <laughs> yeah, he, he approved us doing this podcast go, in the first go place. Go at so. your own risk. Yeah. Any letters, please direct them to Christopher Frank. You can He's find him on Facebook. This. You'll find him on Facebook. <laughs> well, Mike, I want to thank you for joining. Normally we ask where we can find your work on the internet, but... Uh, you're not necessarily an artist or writer or cosplayer or like most of our other guests are. So nope, I'm just going to simply say you are always welcome at our table. Wonderful. Thank you. And just as for everybody out there, if you actually wanted to check out any of these games, read the reviews or even see pictures of what they look like. Um, a lot of these can be found on what boardgamegeek.com. Yep. Yep, in fact, all of them. So, board, board at, yes, boardgamegeek.com is a great reference for all things board games. Um, just about any game you want, you can find there. You'll have ratings, community. Um, they also give a complexity level. Um, it, it's a wonderful resource for anyone looking to, uh, you know, research a little bit about a board game and, and learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. Very nice. And on that note, for Mike QC and for Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Good night, everybody, and game on. Night, everyone. Good night. Good night.